Daniel chapter 7, that he's in the first year, and Daniel has this amazing vision of beasts that are coming out of the sea. You see, when man looks at earthly kingdoms, he sees gold and silver and bronze and iron and you know the, the, the amazing earthly things. This is like his disciples when they were when they were sitting across the valley from the temple and they said, Look at these beautiful buildings. And Jesus said, Thank you. And Jesus said, um, these buildings are going to be torn down in a very short period of time. We see God's viewpoint of earthly kingdoms in Daniel chapter 7. God views them as beasts, voracious beasts. And the first kingdom of Babylon was the lion. The second was the Persians, that was the bear. He had one side that was stronger than the other, and he had three ribs in his mouth. And we studied that because we're thinking that because the Persians were a stronger kingdom than the Medes. That's the reason that the bear was better developed on the one side than the other. The three ribs in the mouth were kingdoms that the Medes and Persians had conquered. We see the fourth, the third kingdom, which is uh, the leopard, and that is the kingdom of Alexander the Great. And the leopard had wings of an eagle, and that just showed us the, the swiftness that Alexander the Great defeated the other kingdoms. I mean, in six years, before he was middle 30s, he had defeated all the other kingdoms. The last kingdom, of course, is the Roman kingdom, the Roman Empire, which we still have vestiges today. We still have intertwined in our society, region, and Roman terms, especially when it comes to government law and procedures about law and that type of thing. Um, if you look at your Okay, so the, the one here, the chart is Daniel. Uh, I put up in the upper left hand corner of that chart that's supposed to say Daniel's four kingdoms. And I put the dates the Babylonians from 613 to 589 BC and the Persians from 5. 530 not 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, but why did these come out so dark? Probably because we copied a copy. Well, maybe we got, as I said. Daniel chapter 5, okay? And we'll come back to these guys here. I'm going to run through Daniel 5 fairly quickly um, because it's, it's, it's more historical. Than <coughs> prophetic. So, Daniel chapter 5 says, King Belshazzar. So, who was Belshazzar? Belshazzar was Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. Right. Okay. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver objects that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, they always say, they don't say grandfather, he was his grandfather, he was his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So Nebuchadnezzar, when he went over to uh, Israel, and brought back the captives. He also brought back the 
treasures from the temple. And what he did is he put them in a secure place. I'm not sure if ultimately it was out of reverence or what, but he put them in a secure place. And so his grandson here, who is not a very nice person, okay, he says, bring out the sacred vessels so that we can bring them. So this is really showing a disdain for the God of Israel. Okay. And very, very disrespectful. So, verse 3. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. If you know anything about the Babylonian Empire, they worship worship the Torah of gods. Everything from the sun god, the moon god, they had a fertility god, they had this god. I don't even know But um, they have actually excavated part of this site and have found a building or a hall, if you will, that was big enough to house this kind of a party. So this was a pretty big party. It says that for a thousand of his nobles. So we're going to assume that there was at least a thousand people. Now it says in verse 8, Suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. Can you think of another in history when finger wrote something what is that? Uh, verse 5 sorry Ten Commandments yeah when Moses went up a mountain God chiseled or wrote out the Ten Commandments so it says here in verse 6 his face this is the king Watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his leg gave way. So he fell down. So scared. Verse 7. The king called out for the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners, or diviners, to be brought and said to the wise men of Babylon. Whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck. And he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. So Nabonidus, which was Belshazzar's father, Nebuchadnezzar's son, Nebuchadnezzar is dead. Nabonidus is the first in the kingdom. He gave Belshazzar this reign over Babylon, so he's technically second in the kingdom. So he's saying, if anybody can interpret this, you're going to be one step below me. You're going to be third in the kingdom. Okay? Alright. Then, verse 8, all the king's men, wise men, told him that they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So, you know, I'm assuming it was written in a language they didn't know. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. The queen, that would be his mother, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. O king, live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom, like that of the gods. In Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, I say, appointed him chief of magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and miners. So Daniel is living in relative, relative peace here and security. But Daniel is somewhere around 89 years old now. Okay, he's been in the kingdom since he was probably about 15. 
16, so he's been there for a long time. He's kind of semi-retired. So, verse 12, this man Daniel, whom the king called, this man Daniel, whom the king called Belshazzar, okay, and those two names, even though there's only a T uh, in the difference, a T and a E, and there's an S in Belshazzar, they mean totally different things. Belshazzar, that was the Babylonian king, that name's that name means may Bell, that's a false god, may Bell protect me. What his name means. Belshazzar, I did um, tell you what his name meant. Let me see if I've still got that written down somewhere. I will look for you. Z-O-A-R-A-N-E-A-R-O-P-Y, I think. 
And and he, it was an insanity that caused him to think that he was a man. And even though Nebuchadnezzar was kind of hidden away and protected for those years that he was insane, you gotta know his wife. She probably told his son, you know, probably the whole palace knew that the kingdom probably did not. So he says, Verse 22, but you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. And Daniel is, this is the king. He's talking, this is, this is the big way. And he says, you have goblets from this temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, drank wine from you praise the gods of silver and the gods of gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which you not see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel parsin. This is what the words mean. Minute. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to end. He didn't say he will bring it to an end. This is not past tense or future tense. This is what? Present tense, isn't it? Yeah. Tonight, Belshazzar, the handwriting on the wall says, you're going down. You're done. You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Your kingdom is divided and given to who? These and the Persians. The silver uh, of the statue. Now, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. This is October 12, 539 BC. He was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom in of 62. Let me tell you what happened. I'll just give you the story. This is very interesting. So, yes. Yeah, I mean, there's historical records that, that you know, go back uh, to these. Um, so, Babylon was a beautiful city, definitely one of the major attractions of the world. And if you'll remember, I told you it had a huge wall that was completely built around the city. It was so wide that four chariots could run abreast on top of the wall. So I think it was like 30 something feet wide. And it was really tall. I, I don't have I don't want to look to see, but it was a hundred or two hundred feet tall. It was huge. And what uh, Nebuchadnezzar and the kings of Babylon had done is that they had built the city so that the river okay, ran right through the city. Right? And they had a moat around the city. They had uh, uh, gates, etc., etc. So they considered their city in heaven. And so Darius Mede and Persians had been waiting outside of the city to conquer the city for several, at least several months, if not a year. And Belshazzar is like, they can't get in there. We're going to throw a party for our thousand friends and we're going to drink and just be married. Well, what the Medes and Persians did is that they diverted the river. They diverted the river, and what happens when you divert the river? Well, then you have a place that goes under into the city, under the gates, came down into the river. And that's what they did. They took and went in, Medes and Persians went into the city of Babylon and just completely took it over, killed 
Belshazzar, and uh, who knows how many people. And that happened on the very night that this hand broke loose. So, that's kind of interesting. So, in chapter 6, verse 1, it pleased Darius, Darius, of course, is the lead who broke the king, to appoint 120 satraps. A satrap is like a governor. Okay? So, he appointed these governors to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps was made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. So now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Okay? So all of these other 119. Um, satraps, or 120 satraps, and the other three administrators, Daniel was going to be overall. So you can imagine, here's this Jewish guy, this exile, former slave, not even a native Babylonian, and he's 80 some years old, and he to be set up over everybody. Alright. Verse 4. At this, Administrators and the satraps tried to find ground for charges against Daniel in his conduct, government, affairs, but were unable to do so. They, they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Well, we had some politicians like that. <laughs> Finally, these men said, that's the other two. We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So the administrators and the satraps, so we're talking 122 people here, went as a group to the king and said, Oh, King Darius, live ever. The royal administrators Prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days except you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's Now, you'll notice what they said here up in verse 7. The royal administrators have all agreed. Daniel was he was one of the three top guys, right? So this is deception. Verse 8. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revealed. So King Darius. So you're Darius, right? And these all these and hunters come to you and say, you know, Darius here. Cool guy, man. I think people ought to worship you for thirty days. What do you think, Darius? Why don't you make a law that can't be revealed that everyone has to worship? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, that's what I always say. And uh, yeah, I'll get everybody worshiping me. That's I like that. Alright. So Darius put the put the decree in writing verse 9. Now, verse 10, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room with where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men, the 122 of them, went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Uh, hey, your kingship, did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, 
Anyone who raised him, he got her. And I said, you okay? She be three months of my extent. Teen answered, three stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revealed. Then they said to the king, Well, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O Daniel, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order. And they brought Daniel and put him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God whom you continually, whom you serve continually, rescue. Now, this is quite a trial for Daniel. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating, without any he brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anxious voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shot the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. So, Daniel spends the night curled up with lions. Everything's all nice and warm. I don't think lions purr, but whatever they were doing, they were doing, right? While the king goes to his palace and can't sleep at all. Daniel in the lion's den sleeping like a baby, and the king can't sleep. That's awesome. God knows how to work things out. He says in verse 23, the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. You know, when you look at these types of things, and we, I, I think that we don't sometimes give like Daniel, the three boys that were thrown into the fire, etc. These were human beings, just like you and me. They were no, they weren't saints. They were no better than us. They were, they were just human beings. And yet, we face a little easy trial sometimes and push the panic button. And not believe that God is going to take care of stuff. And these guys are facing life. What would happen if we had to face life? No. We need to understand that God takes care of his own. And he will. You know, it's an interesting thing. People think about trials in the time of want. Okay? Trials that come when you financially hurting. Your health is or something bad, right? Relationship. But you know, God gives us trials and prosperity. God gives us prosperity, and he says, I can handle it. The Apostle Paul said, you know what? I have learned to be content in every situation. Whether rich or poor, whether full or empty, whether, I don't remember what the rest of it is, but you know what I'm talking about. We need to have that same attitude. Now, verse 24. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. Oh, I've been looking for a divorce, Bob. 
what happened just before this happened, right? Um, and before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote all peoples, nations, and men of every language throughout the land. May you prosper greatly. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar wrote a, uh, a letter. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Now, we studied Daniel chapter 7, and I want you to read that again. We studied Daniel chapter 8, um, and that also had to do with, with uh, the kingdoms. Let's read Daniel chapter 8, and then we'll go into Daniel chapter 9. Yes. Every God that they That's very interesting, and you wonder whether Darius was saved. You know, you wonder whether he got saved because of this. What a witness to to the king and his kingdom. And all Daniel did was he just he just prayed. He ignored a, a wrong ruling of the government, and he prayed to his God for help. It says, and even when he was falsely accused, he kept the standard. He he did fight against. He went in willingly, apparently, and uh, God protected him out of that. And the evil that was meant for him was turned around and put back on the heads of people. You know, that's, that's a, a divine principle. And in fact, uh, my daughter was married. Greek, narcissistic man, okay, who was very, very controlling. And after, I think, 10 years having that, he said, Dad, I can't stay stand anymore. So I went down there with, I went down, uh, went down there and we ran into you all, moved around. And the, that was what, five, something five years And in just telling you this because I want to make sure. Uh, in the last five years, she has probably spent somewhere around one hundred and forty thousand dollars a year. Yeah, just fighting the stuff, the evil that he puts toward her and her own his voice. And you know, I pray every day. I say, Lord. That he might be humble and find you. Now that's a legitimate prayer. And, uh, you know, if God's got to use some very drastic means, he's used drastic means in my life in the past. I wasn't happy with this thing. It was just bad. Oh, no. No, I asked for the six. Yeah, a few times. And I got it, too. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And he, he may have been serious Let me read to you Daniel chapter eight, verse I'm just gonna read the whole chapter since we didn't get to spend a lot of time on it. In the third year of King Belshazzar, so this is before chapter five when the rise and writing was on the wall, right? Okay. I Daniel had a vision after the one that had already appeared to me. In my vision, I saw myself in the city or citadel of Susa, in the province of Elam, 
in the vision, I was beside the like mound. So he's beside this body of water. I looked up, and there before me was a ram with two horns. Now we know from verse 20 that the two-horned ram you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. Right? Okay, so that's what we're looking at. So I looked up, and there before me was a ram with two horns. So this is Media and Persia. Media. Medo Persia, standing beside a canal, and the horns were long. One of the horns, that would be the Persian horn, was longer than the other, but grew up later. The Median Empire was the powerful empire at first. The Persian Empire became more powerful later. Now, it says, um, I watched as the ram, I watched the ram as he charged toward the west, the north, and the south. No animal could stand against him, and none could, re could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. As I was thinking about this, suddenly he rose with a prominent form between his eyes from the west, crossing the whole earth without touching ground. Now, verse 21 it says, The shaggy is the king of Greece, and the large form between his eyes is. First king, so that is King uh, Alexander, Alexander the Great. Now, it says in verse 6, he came toward the two horned ram. So, the kingdom, the Grecian kingdom of Alexander the Great, came toward the two horned ram, the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, charged at him in great rage. I saw him attack the ram furiously. Striking the ram and shattering his two horns. Remember, this is a vision. This is a vision of the future. The ram was powerless to stand against him, but those who not to the ground and trampled on him, and none rescued the ram from his power. The goat became very great, but at the height of his power, his large horn was broken off. So at the height of Alexander the Great's power, he died. And in its place, four prominent horns grew up toward the four winds of heaven. He divided his kingdom between his four generals. Isn't it, isn't it kind of fun to, to know that? Because if you, if you read that without knowing history, it doesn't really make any sense. Does it? He divided his kingdom up between four horns. One of them, out of one of them, came another horn. Which started small but grew in power to the south and to the east and toward the beautiful land. It grew until it reached the host of the heavens and it threw some of the starry host down to the earth and trampled on them. This is a prophecy of Antiochus Epiphanes IV, who was a Seleucid king that came from the north of. Israel and um, was a person to the people of Israel. Let's see what he says about it. It, verse 11, it, the king, set itself up to be as great as the prince of the host. It took away the daily sacrifice from him, and the place of his sanctuary was brought low. So we're talking about the temple. He went into the temple. And set himself up as the prince of the host. He set himself up as God. Okay? And he abolished the baby sacrifice of the Jews. He made it against the law for them to circumcise the children. He, he mandated that they eat pork. Okay? He set up a, a statue of Jupiter in the sanctuary of the temple and sacrificed takes to it, okay, which is an abomination. This is the exact thing that Jesus was referring to in Matthew chapter 24 when he says the abomination that causes desolation has spoken of by the prophet Daniel. Okay? Now, verse 14 continues. Because of rebellion, most of the saints and the daily sacrifices were given over to it. It prospered in 
everything in his hand threw the scroll to the ground. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to me, How long will it take this vision to be fulfilled? Vision concerning the day of sacrifice, the rebellion that causes desolation, and the surrender of the sanctuary, and the host of those trapped underfoot. He said to me, It will take 2,300 days mornings, and the sacrifice will be consecrated. So the persecution lasted for six years, from 171 to 165 B.C. It was it was thwarted, uh, if you will, by Maccabees. Maccabees were a Jewish family that came in and just said, "We're done. We're not going to do this anymore." And they went in and they they went through the temple and drove out the Invaders, etc. You can read that in Catholic Bible, and it's in the their apocrypha. Now, verse fifteen. While I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it, there before me he stood one who looked like a man, and I heard a man's voice from the Uli calling, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of the vision. As he came near the place where I was standing, I was terrified and fell prostrate. Son of man, he said to me, understand the vision concerns the time of the end. While he was speaking to me, I was in a deep sleep, with my face to the ground. Then he touched me and raised me to my feet. He said, I am going to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath. Now, the time of wrath. Is speaking of tribulation. That's the time of God's wrath. He says, The two horned ram that you saw represents the king of Media and Persia. Shag goes to the king of Greece, and the large horn between his eyes is the first king, Alexander. The four horns that place the one broken off represent four kingdoms that will emerge from his nation and will not have the same power. In the latter part of their reign, now, we are in a totally different time frame. When rebels have become completely wicked, a stern-faced king, a master of intrigue, will arise. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause out astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy the mighty men and the holy people. He will cause the secret property prosper, and he will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, they, meaning the um, Israelites, and we see this in uh, Ezekiel chapter 38, it says that they will be living in a land of unwalled villages. Right now, is Israel the land of unwalled villages? No. Got big walls around, right? Yeah. They are not living secure because they've got Syria on the north, Egypt on the south, they've got Lebanon on the north, they've got uh, uh, Iran on the east, uh, they've got Saudi Arabia on the east. They've got all kinds of possible nations around them. But there will come a time, and we're going to see this, we need this night to get to it, that the Antichrist is going to make seven years recently, and then <coughs> then they will be living secure. And this is that time right here that we just read speaking about the Antichrist. Let me repeat it to you. Starting at verse 23. In the latter part of their reign, when rebels have become wicked, a stern-faced king, a master of intrigue will arise. Go to go to second Thessalonians chapter 2 and it talks about the deceit and the um, the deception that's coming. And you know what? It's already here, isn't it? I mean, think about the deception that's already here. People keep calling good, bad, bad, good. Okay? Alright. It says he will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy the mighty men and the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper. And he will consider himself 
superior. In fact, in 2 Thessalonians, it says that he will enter the temple and he will declare himself to God. When they feel secure, this is Israel, this is the people of Israel, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. That would be God. He will, yet he will be destroyed, but not by the power. Remember the, the vision of the statue and legs of iron and the feet, the ten toes that were iron mixed with clay, and the rock that came out of heaven and completely wiped out the whole statue, and that so much so that there was no trace of it left. You see, when Jesus Christ brings in his kingdom, all earthly kingdoms and their traces are gone. Yeah, isn't that good news? Man. Okay, now, verse 26. The vision of the evenings and mornings that has been given to you is true, but seal up the vision or protect the vision, for it concerns the distant future. I and Moses tossed and laid the over several days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. Daniel knew that this was this was a this prophecy was a great tragedy uh, for especially for Israel. Verse one of chapter nine. In the first year of Darius. Okay, so this should be. Right after chapter 6, as Darius took over at the end of chapter 5, and we see chapter 6, Darius became king. So technically, chapter 9 is after chapter 6. Why is this the new man? The first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a lead by descent, who was made ruler of Babylonian kingdom in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scripture according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet that the desolation of Jerusalem would last seven years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter. 25. Okay. Here I chapter 25. So Daniel is doing what? Daniel's reading the scriptures. Daniel's studying. He's not praying three times a day facing Jerusalem, but he's reading. He's reading the scrolls that were copied of the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 1. 25, 1. Let's read it. Here's what it says. Y'all there? The word came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, which was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So we're back to Nebuchadnezzar, okay? So Jeremiah the prophet said all of Judah. And to all those living in Jerusalem for 23 years and 13 years, Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, until this very day, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened. Jeremiah is speaking to the king, okay? Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. He has not invaded Judah yet at this point. So this is. Well, you will. And he says, I've talked I've talked to you again and again, but you have not listened. Verse 4. And though the Lord has sent all his servants to the prophets to you again and again, but you have not listened, they didn't attend. They said, This will be the prophets. Turn now, each of you, from your evil ways and evil practices, and you can stay in the land. The Lord gave you. And your fathers forever and ever. Do not follow other gods to serve and worship them. Do not provoke me to anger 
with what your hands have made. In other words, false idols. Then I will not harm you. Do not listen to me, declares the Lord. And you have provoked me with what your hands have made. And you have brought harm to yourselves. You brought harm to them. Then it's done. Therefore, the Lord Almighty says this. Because you have not listened. Remember, Daniel's reading this. Daniel's studying this, these exact words written on a scroll. Therefore, the Lord Almighty says this. Because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord. And I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy them, make them as an object of horror and scorn and everlasting ruin. I will banish from them the sound of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, the sound of millstones, in other words, the economy, and the light of the lamp. The whole country will become a desolate wasteland, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. But when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation, the land of the Babylonians, for their guilt, declares the Lord, and will make it desolate forever. I will bring upon that land all have spoken against it, all that are, prop that are written in this book and prophesied by Jeremiah against all the nations. They themselves will be enslaved by many nations and great kings. I will repay them according to their deeds and the work of their hands. So, Daniel's reading this and he, he says, when the seven years are up, I will punish the king of Babylon. So Daniel gets to start to death. As he got here at such and such a time, seven years are almost up, Daniel says. So in Daniel chapter 9, which is where we are right now, okay, he says this Daniel 9, and I'm in verse 2. I'll wait till y'all get there. I, Daniel, Understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last seventy years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with Him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. Ashes. Here's His prayer. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps His covenant. Love all those who love him and obey his commands. We have sinned and done wrong. What do you notice about that? He includes himself, doesn't he? Did Daniel sin? No. But he includes himself in his nation. He says, We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from the commands of laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. You know, Daniel is, in a way, interceding for his people, isn't he? You know, can we intercede for the United States of America? Yeah. Can we intercede for our president? Yeah, God hears these prayers. Lord. Verse 7, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The men of Judah and the people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. O Lord, we and our kings, our princes, and our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving. Even though we have, we have rebelled against him, we have not obeyed the Lord our God, or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curse is in sworn judgment 
Bithnin, the law of Moses, is in Deuteronomy 28, 15 to 68. You can go back there and it, it outlines the fifth cycle of discipline for a nation, all, kind, all the different cycles of dip, discipline. Very he says, therefore, the curses and the sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, Deuteronomy 28, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have filled the word spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing upon us great disaster. By the way, the five um, the five cycles discipline for a nation. We've studied or studied that again applies not only to Israel, but applies to any So it, it applies to the United States of America also. The fifth cycle being uh, overrun. Now, it says here, I'm going to read verse 12. You have fulfilled the word spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster is compromised. Yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to the truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster upon us, for the Lord our God is mighty to us. Yet we have not obeyed him. Now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and who made for him for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned and done wrong. O Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our Fathers have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to those around us. That's exactly what he said in it, and that he would do. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servants. Servant being singular, Daniel. Isn't this amazing? One man praying on behalf of a nation is going to for your sake, O Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act for your sake. O my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. Now, what a prayer. What a prayer. We should be praying prayers like this. What I'm going to do is it's eight. I'm just going to read the rest of nine. You're going to take this whole, you're going to look at it, you want to, but you're going to bring it back next week so we don't have to print it out again. Okay. And then what we're going to do is we're going to actually study from verse um, 20 down to 27. We'll study the 70 weeks of Daniel, break, breakdown of the tribulation, etc. So let's just look at the 77s Okay, Daniel is writing here. He says, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin, and the sin of my people Israel, and making my request to the Lord your God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. Now there was no evening sacrifice in the temple, no temple but it was about the time of the evening sacrifice take place. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and 
understanding. As soon as you begin to pray against yourself, as soon as you begin to pray, the answer is given, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression. To put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Somebody tell me who is going to get anointed and when? Okay. Jesus. Okay, Jesus is the most holy. When will he be anointed? Second coming, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, he's going to be given the, the rulership of his kingdom. So this, this prophecy goes all the way from the near to the way far, to the way distant. We'll, we'll, we'll go through this completely. He says in verse 25, know and understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, there is a date for that, okay? Until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and six sevens. So seven plus sixty-two is sixty-nine sevens total. And your, your, uh, your, this will come in handy, the, the uh, graph. Alright. He says this. It. What's the big it? Well, build Jerusalem. Okay. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one, who do you think the anointed one is? Jesus, right? Will be cut off. And we'll have nothing. What do you think that was? Crucifixion. Death. Absolutely. So this is a prophecy of the crucifixion and death of Jesus Christ. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. What people destroyed the city of Jerusalem and the temple in 70 AD? The Romans. Romans. Okay? Now remember, Rome was a huge, huge uh, empire. Rome went all the way around the Mediterranean, all the way into um, Asia Minor, went into Eastern Europe, Africa, the Middle East, etc. Now, he says this, the end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. Now, all of a sudden, personalizes it. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation. Until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Let me read to you real quick out of, out of uh, Matthew 24 because Jesus basically quoted this exact same scripture. Here's what he says. He says, you know, he talked about the wars, the rumors of wars, the pestilence, the famines, and all the rest, right? And then the deception, and then the persecution. And then he says this, Jesus Christ speaking, So when you see standing in the holy place, what would you say the holy place was? Temple, huh? The, holy, the holiest uh, place. <laughs> Abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. 
then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down and take anything out of the house. This is going to be a perilous time. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress upon you from the beginning of the world until now and never Wow. So, what we'll study next week is we'll study how this the 77s break down in history. Okay? Because this is this is one of the most incredible prophecies in the Bible, especially for understanding from a dispensational review. It was interesting. I uh, went on the computer and I googled uh, charts of Daniel's 70th week, right? Boy, there is a real CRAP on the, on the computer about false, so much false doctrine. I mean, you got one guy says, well, the wrath started in 